Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. Do you ever wish for the good old days when your kids could play outside unsupervised or ride a bike down the road to their friend's house? Well, what if these are the good old days? What if your children aren't in as much danger as you think or the media would have us think? What if your children are capable of more responsibility than you realize? Or what if you could have more peace of mind about the safety and development of your children? Well, our guest today, Lenore Skenazi, is this public speaker, author of the book, Free Range Kids, and host of the new Discovery Life channel show, World's Worst Mom. Lenore helps parents better understand these little people we are bringing up and how to give them their space. And Lenore is also here to tell us, lighten up, let our kids roam free. Well, Lenore, welcome to the show, and today is a really timely day for us to be chatting. Oh, I'll say. <laughs> it's, really, it's really been going wild in that uh, the Métis family in Maryland, I think everybody's heard of them by now, uh, uh, professional, nice human beings with two children who also are nice. I've met them ages 10 and 6, let their kids play in the park a third of a mile from their house. The kids were playing there on Sunday, sunny day, finally warm, and uh, somebody called and said they were concerned because they'd seen children in the park, and of course, you're not supposed to see children in the park anymore, so Certainly not playing, certainly not unsupervised. Uh, they called the police. The police came, picked up the children, and kept them for the next six hours, um, only alerting the parents after three hours had passed that, in fact, they had the kids. Um, some might call that kidnapping. Yes, it's ironic that uh, I think the I think. The, the motivations of everybody involved, I think, were good. I think that the caller called because he or she was so worried that they saw a child outside, and it's so, um, you know, it's ingrained in our brains these days to think that any time a child is unsupervised, they're in immediate and terrible danger um, of kidnapping is generally the fear. And so they called the police, and the police believe the same thing. You know, it's not like they don't watch Law and & Order, right? And uh, so the police pick up the kids, and then they say, well, what are we supposed to do with the kids now? and they bring them over to Child Protective Services. And Child Protective Services sees children in a lot of really horrible situations, and I think they immediately assume the worst. But if anybody would simply examine what is happening rather than what if something terrible happened, they would see that what you had were two kids playing near home at an age that all of us were allowed to play outside, 10 and 6. And if they simply asked the kids, are you okay? You're fine? And, and, and I think they did ask the kids. The kids said, yes, we're playing. And the, and the police originally said, well, we'll just take you home. But then they chose to do otherwise. Um, you know, it didn't have to escalate like this. And one of the things I'm trying to sort of get people to think about these days is something that was pointed out to me um, by a lady who wrote to me. You know, I'm at Free Range Kids, and everybody sends me the stories of dealing with um, fears, other people's fears generally. And a woman wrote to me recently uh, from a small town in the south, 10,000 people, uh, that she had had her six-year-old was riding up and down the sidewalk on their block, which is three houses long, and somebody had called and said, oh, my God, there's a child outside, you know, like an escaped gazelle. Go get him. And so the police came, and the policeman was very aggressive and said, you're not allowed to play out here without your mom or dad, and took the kid home, and the kid was so scared he didn't want to go outside again. 
Um, then the mom's 10-year-old was walking to the library, which is six blocks away, and, um, and he was stopped by a policeman. And then when the kid, the 10-year-old, went out again a couple months later, after he sort of gained his um, bravery again, he uh, was again stopped, and this is on the way, three blocks away, to a convenience store. And so the mom wrote to me, and I said, well, listen, I know one thing, and that's how to get national publicity. I'll put it on my blog. I've done this before. And she wrote back, she was so much smarter than me, and said, you know, I'm not sure that's exactly what I want to do. I'm writing to you for advice, and um, if I, you know, if if people come and interview me about how horrible the, the policemen are here and how stupid the town is, um, how am I going to make any change, any progress here? Because I'll have embarrassed the town, and I'll have made enemies of the police, and uh, no one likes to be humiliated. Is there another way? And I thought, uh, yeah. Yeah, come to think of it, there is, and she was so right. The other way is to take that same letter, the same letter that got me so upset and that I was willing to throw on my blog, and take it to the chief of police. Say, do you want do you want six-year-olds afraid to ride their bikes on the sidewalk in front of their house? Do you want 10-year-olds afraid to walk to the library in this small, wonderful town that has so much otherwise going for it? It has, you know, it has parades, it has a... Uh, it has concerts downtown in the summer. It sounds like Mayberry, except for these couple of incidents. And so that's what she's doing now. She is taking that letter and bringing it to a town hall meeting, and she has already reached out to um, the city manager, who is also appalled, and said, you know, we do have to do something about this. There's just a miscommunication in terms of, you know, everybody worrying. And so... Um, I know I'm going on and on, but, but, but my point is this, that even in Maryland, what you have are the makings of a really wonderful and free-range and warm-hearted community. Um, you have somebody who was looking at the kids and worried about them, and then you have police who came and were worried about them. But all we have to do is flip it from, you know, criminalizing the parents' accusation and recrimination and turn it into community. Oh, um, officer, I see some kids outside. I just want to make sure they're okay. You know, it's so rare to see kids playing outside anymore. Officer comes by. Kids, you okay? Yeah, we're fine. What's the plan? Well, we're going home at 6, and I have a watch on, and it's 540, so we're going to leave in five minutes. Okay, do you know your address? Yes, we live three blocks away. Okay, great. Let me know if you need anything, kids. And, and that's it. And if the, if the cop was worried, he could even watch for 15 minutes. They haven't up watching for three hours. They could watch for 15 minutes and make sure that the kids got home safely. So why not use all this concern that we have for children outside and just remember that we're all on the same side. We all want healthy, happy, safe kids, and it doesn't involve shaming and blaming parents. So what's the bigger issue here, or what's the deeper issue? Is it that as a society we've become um, so concerned about crime and our children um, that we think children, parents shouldn't make decisions about their children's well-being and whether they can go outside or not to play or whether they can walk to school or not. Um, you know, what's the deeper issue here? Well, I think the deeper issue is that we think that we're not doing it right if we're not thinking of the worst-case scenario anytime we see a kid or even contemplate letting our own kids do anything. Um, basically, gosh, what was I doing? So here was a story that I thought was kind of wild. Uh, up in Canada, in Prince Edward Island, which turns out I didn't know it at the time, to be the safest um, 
the safest town in all of Canada. Uh, last summer, this past summer, uh, a bus coming home from camp let the two kids off, brother and sister, I think they were 10 and 8, um, off at the bus stop, which is at a public park, uh, a playground, 10 minutes before the appointed time. So when the parents got there to pick up the kids, I don't know if the kids lived far from the house or if the parents just felt like they had to pick up the kids, but for one reason or another, the parents were picking up the kids. They got there, and the kids had already been there for 10 minutes. And the parents were beside themselves with rage. They thought heads should roll. How dare the bus driver leave off these children in such an unsafe place, unsafe by definition being anywhere outside. Um, Anything could have happened. And... um, when I went on a radio show to talk about that, um, saying, well, anything could have happened, but in general, um, kids are safe today, just like they were in our day. Actually, they're safer. Crime is down since when most of us parents today were kids. And um, 10 minutes is not a long time, and it doesn't strike me as egregious. There were two kids together. They're at a park. They could have played. They could have played on the swings. Um, and and all the callers thought that I was crazy. And When we've gotten to the point where you think that children together, not even just one child, but two kids, uh, one of them double digits, uh, outside at a park on a summer day for 10 minutes is the equivalent of kids in a shark tank uh, with uh, meatballs in their pockets, something has happened to society. A society has gone crazy with imagining the worst-case scenario. I call it worst-first thinking. You come up with the very worst case scenario first. In 10 minutes, those children could have been raped and eaten, and you proceed as if it's likely to happen. And that is a hysterical moment. I, I mean, I, I hate to call it that because people sound, think that I'm being too cruel, and, and I'm really not. I'm just trying to figure out how to dial back from a moment that we'll, we will look back on and go, wow, wow, we were really overwrought. It will look to us like the Victorian era looks to us now, which is The Victorian era was so obsessed with everything being so sexual that if you were a normal middle-class family back then, you would put cloth cloth over your piano legs because piano legs were considered too sexy to look at. It was like having pornography in the parlor showing a naked piano leg. And now we look back and we go, wow, they were, they were off their rockers. And I think that's how we're going to look back at 2015 America. So where is all this hysteria coming from? Ah, I, I did write an entire book on this. Um, the, the, the fear comes from a lot of places. And, you know, fear is way stronger, unfortunately, than most other emotions. I don't, I'm not sure it's stronger than love, but it's stronger than, um, you know, slow, pedantic, rational thinking. And uh, fear turns out to be this really great selling tool. Um, and... Once television realized that the greatest story that could possibly put on air is that of a child kidnapped, snatched, hurt, um, that's, that became the go-to story. And it really started, I'd say, in the late 70s. Um, in New York City, there was a, a tragic case of a boy named Eitan Patz who was, uh, went to a bus stop, six years old, never seen again. And um, that story became, uh, when, when it was first hit the news, uh, the assumption was that he was so beautiful um, that maybe some lady took him home to raise as her own child, some lovelorn woman who wanted a child. 
And that was really considered like a, a, a serious working theory um, at the beginning of the investigation. But gradually, um, the investigation became one of looking for maybe a guy. And then it had to be explained to the American public, who was pretty innocent of this, that sometimes there are these horrible men who feel um, that it, they are allowed to rape and kill children. And once this story started appearing in print, and then there was a book about it, and, and then there was other media picked up on it, it was, it was like a match to a gas tank, because it was so horrifying and yet fascinating, and you could feel so good being angry about it, because what, could, what, is, what is worse, right? Um, that it just, the, the media was not... Um, uh, the media was taken by this. The media was uh, saw that this was a story that would sell more papers, um, sell more magazines, and sell more TV commercials than anything else. And then a few years later, um, the horrible story of Adam Walsh happened, another boy who was taken and murdered. And, um, and there was a a, a two-night docu—I guess it was—I can't remember if it was a documentary or a docudrama about that case. It broke all ratings records, and this did not go unnoticed by the media either. And I feel like ever since then we've been on rewind because it's not like children. Thank God, it's not like children are being kidnapped and murdered every day. Uh, but the stories are on every day, and if you flip the channels just a couple of times when you're watching any time of day or night, you will find either a, a news story, a documentary, a law and order episode, or perhaps a law and order episode um, devoted to uh, child kidnapping. And when you see this 24-7 uh, coming into your house, it feels like 24-7, that's what's happening outside of your house. It feels like your children are in constant danger. And, um, and, and then it has just ricocheted throughout the rest of society in that now there are products for your child every single second of the day and monitoring them and watching them and keeping them safe and keeping them inside and keeping them in uh, programs that they will be constantly supervised. And gradually, it just became the common norm to believe that if your children are unsupervised, they are in danger. And if they are supervised, that's the only way they can be safe. So it certainly plays into the reptilian part of our brain, right? The, the sure fear-based. Yep. And mm-hmm. that is a um, probably one of the strongest areas of our brain is, is mm-hmm. that reptilian brain survival. And mm-hmm. your child is someone that you just absolutely adore as a parent mm-hmm. and God forbid mm-hmm. something happened to them. And so all that media attention on you know children and the terrible things that happen play into that reptilian part of our brain and it just feeds this constant loop. And I can tell you, I'm very guilty of it as a parent. Um, But statistically, your position is that our kids are safer today than they were 30 years ago, even. Mm -hmm. How do you back that up? Well, it's easy. You can go to the FBI Bureau of Statistics and look. Um, The thing is that sometimes people think, well, of course our children are safer today because we keep them inside. Uh Uh, But, but in fact, all crime is down. We're not keeping houses inside and burglary is down. And we're not keeping adults inside and rape and murder and um, assault are down, as is robbery. Uh, So it truly is a drop in the crime rate. Um, it just doesn't feel like it for the reasons we were discussing earlier, which is that 
you know, saying, you know, children walk home safely from school today, details at 11, is not going to get you a lot of viewers. Uh, so the way you get a lot of viewers is by saying three counties over or sometimes three countries over. Uh, there was something horrible that happened, and we'll have details tonight, and then we'll look at the candlelight vigil, and then we'll interview the parents who say, if only we had never, and then we'll chastise the parents saying, why did you do that? And I feel like parents are afraid of two things now, thanks to this kind of unforgiving, fear-mongering culture. One is we worry that something bad will happen to our kids. And two is we worry that if it does, there will be no sympathy. There will be no empathy. It will be finger-pointing. It will be blog post after blog post and comment. Why did she let her kids do X or Y? You know, I would never do that. Why did she have the kids if she didn't want to watch over them? Doesn't she know? And, And it feels like when my mom had me and I was a little kid, uh, if I ran away from her at the fair or something like that, other parents, even on the block, would say, oh, kids, they're so, they're so slippery, or they, they're, you know, you can't do anything with them, or, boy, they'll drive you crazy, won't they? And, um, and I feel like now it would be that, that level of empathy is gone, and, or not gone, but dormant, let's say, because I do believe it can come back. And so I feel it would be, why weren't you watching her? Why didn't you hold her hand tighter? Why were you so bad? Why were you a bad, 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 bad parent? I feel like people are very eager to judge and blame, and somehow it makes them feel a little less afraid. And I think all this meanness and suspicion and unwillingness to help each other or give each other the benefit of the doubt does come from fear. And I feel like the fear has been superimposed on us and that we can actually crack through it and and be much happier and much kinder to each other and to ourselves. Well, there's cable, right? 24 hours Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in every network that needs to be filled with programming. That's true. Mm-hmm. And there's the internet and there are blogs and there are, you know, Facebook and there's, I mean, there's so much media that needs to be filled with something and fair cells and it plays with our reptilian brain, right? And so it feeds it itself. Um, like you were saying, the good news, you know, kids walked home safely and got home. That's not going to make the news, right? It's literally not news. I mean, when it's you not think news. about it, what, what is news? News is something unusual. Somebody once wrote a really cool thing to my blog. They said, if a Martian came down to earth and asked, how do Americans live? And I don't know why they always have that voice. But if they did, um, you could respond to him or her or it or whatever it is. Well, let's see, do you want to see how 99.99% of America lives each day? Or do you want to see the 0.01%? And they'd say, if they were, you know, as smart as we think these creatures are going to be, they'd say, well, we want to see the 99%, of course, or the 99.99%. And so you would take him around and you'd show him life. But if you wanted to see the point, oh, one percent, you'd turn on the news. That's so true. That's so true. So you've been called the world's worst mom. Yes, I have. <laughs> and that is because what? Oh, well, let's see. My son is 17. He's nine. Uh, eight years ago. Uh, when my younger son was nine years old here in New York City, he started asking me and my husband if we would take him someplace he had never been before and let him find his own way home on the subway. And uh, long story short, we let him. 
so one sunny Sunday, I took him to Bloomingdale's, which shows you that I don't normally shop at Bloomingdale's. Uh, very fancy department store in a very lovely zip code. And I said, okay. Off you go. And I went one way, and he uh, went the other way, armed with the things I gave him, which were a Metro card, which gets you on the subway, and quarters if he needed a call, $20 if there was an emergency, and a map, uh, which he knew how to read. And uh, he had to take the subway about four or five stops, and he did, and then he had to take a bus uh, across town, which probably took another 15 or 20 minutes. And he came home extremely ecstatic, I think is the word, really proud and happy that not only had he done something on his own that he felt he was ready for, but that we believed in him too. You know, we we talked about it and we decided if he's ready, we're ready. We know the subways are filled with people. I just read the statistic yesterday, six million people take the subway on an average day. So uh, safety in numbers is what we believe, and we believe what we see, which is that the subway uh, is not, uh, you know, a cesspool. It's transportation. And uh, he was ready to use it, and we were ready to let him. And I wrote a column about it because I'm a newspaper columnist by trade, and I called it Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone. Oh, and, my. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've got to tell you, to be completely honest with you, and I get intellectually your position i so get it but i am the mm-hmm. mother of a 19 year old and when you were telling me about me your nine-year-old boy mm-hmm. on a subway in new york city by himself mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. heart started racing i started you know the fear crept in thinking could mm-hmm. i have let my son do that at nine years old oh my gosh i would have been freaking out until he got home do you live in new york city I don't. I've been there. Um, uh-huh. I, I lived in. I've lived in big cities. So, uh-huh. I, so intellectually, I get why you did what you did and what you did. Mm-hmm. The empowerment, the confidence that you gave your son that day was priceless. Actually, you know, it's funny you put it that way because I, I never talk about this, but it was also the confidence he gave us. Uh, you know, he was the one who came up with this idea. When I say I have a 19-year-old, that means I have a son who is older when my 9-year-old asked to ride the subway alone, and the older one hadn't asked. Mm. And so we had never had to consider it until the younger one said, can I do this? And, you know, uh, we did it, hoping that it was the right thing, believing that it would be. Um, you know, if I thought it was dangerous, I wouldn't have let him do it, because I wouldn't have let him do it at night. I wouldn't have let him do it in a different neighborhood, but mm-hmm. this seemed um, okay. But the the thing that I think parents are losing out on today is something that we, uh, I, I think all parents really enjoy, which is when your kid does something on their own, uh, whether it's they built a fort or they invented a game or um, they surprised you by doing something nice for somebody without you asking, that, that jolt of parental joy is something that you could have a lot but not if you're with your kids all the time, because mm-hmm. then they don't get to surprise you with what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. I totally, totally get it. So the firestorm that resulted from that column you wrote, mm-hmm. when did it start to die down? I mean, how long after you... The- well, let's see. We're talking nine years later. What are we talking, eight years later now? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You're, you're the... Uh, I mean, I cannot tell you that it has died down because as far as I can tell, it hasn't. Um, because 
you know, a lot of people have heard about me and Free Range Kids, and, and they're on board, and that's great because it's a community of people who really just um, believe in their kids and let their kids know it. But there are, of course, many people who feel that this is a dangerous idea, and uh, that keeps the tension and, the, I guess, the news cycle going. Did you feel, after that experience, and you wrote you know, the column and it came out, mm-hmm. did you feel mm-hmm. a sense of, oh my gosh, what have I done? Have I set up my children to, you know, for something bad to happen to them? The yes. world is looking at me. <laughs> yes, I did. I was, you know, at I the very beginning, I, you know, I wrote the column and I felt great about it. And then I ended up doing all these TV interviews right after it ran. And, and then, you know, getting the blowback, even on the TV interviews, you know, I'm not, inert to fear <laughs> and it's hard to it's hard to not imagine terrible things when people are telling you to mm-hmm. and at one point I remember just telling my husband I, I think I'd started the blog or maybe not because that weekend I started the free range kids blog to say that I love safety and I believe in helmets and car seats and seat belts it's just that I don't believe that kids need a security detail every time they leave the house but at one point I told my husband I said I can't I can't keep doing this this is just I feel like I was asking the fates or something to, right to, it's and I still feel that I mean I, you know it's hard to not feel like you're tempting fate almost no matter what you do because you love your kids so much mm-hmm. that anything you could do to keep them safe including superstition <laughs> you know like I'm knocking on wood now I'm doing that for a purpose I really am trying to ward off evil so at one point it had me sort of whimpering and unable to function <laughs> if you must know Lenora I, I, if, yeah. if we if we could continue this after the break and I hate to cut right here because I I'm I'm feeling your emotion, and I totally, totally get it. Our guest today, Lenore Skenazi. We're discussing free-range parenting. When we return from the break, we'll find out more about how to protect our children without smothering them. This is Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. If you're just now joining us, we are speaking with TV show host, author of Free Range Kids, Lenore Skenazi, about how to let go of our parenting fears and give our children the space they need to succeed. So, Lenore, before the break, we were talking about that opportunity you had. You gave your nine-year-old son to find his way home in New York City, right? By subway, right? By subway. You planned it out. It wasn't like you just dumped him in the middle of nowhere and said, (laughs) figure it out, right? You gave him some tools Mm -hmm. to be successful, but the firestorm that came from the column that you wrote was obviously tremendous, and it's lasted over nine years. And the emotional toll it must have taken on you thinking, oh my gosh, what have I set up, right? Well, you know, I don't want to overstate the emotional toll because I did go through, you know, I'd say a dark point when I worried that... I still worry. I mean, making us talk about this now is making it sort of dark again, which is I worry that, you know, you don't, you never want the fates to pay attention to you, right? Right. You sort of want to duck under their radar. But I'd say that more than that has been the incredible um, gratitude I've felt uh, in the last eight or whatever years since, since this subway ride in that 
I feel like a lot of people have wanted to let their kids do things like walk to school or ride a bike or play with their friends in the park, and they felt like they were crazy to even have this desire to give their kids an old-fashioned childhood, which is basically what I wanted to give mine. And by finding a community at Free Range Kids, they felt like they could. And it's not like it's permission from me. It's just the, um, the recognizing that there are other people who feel the same way. It's not crazy. Rationally, it makes sense. It's good for kids to have free time. It's good for kids to play. It's good for kids to problem solve their own mm-hmm. issue of what are we going to do this afternoon. And the crime is, rate is lower than when we were growing up. So they have the, the, not only they have the sort of rational facts behind them, but they have a community. And it has been great. I feel like You know, I get letters all the time from people saying, thank you, I thought I was the only one. I really love it when my kids walk to school together, and now I don't feel like I'm crazy. And Or I I was starting to feel very worried about my kid and thinking of all the terrible things that could happen. And it was nice to read, you know, whether it's the book or the blog or even the comments on the blog, I think, are the best of all. And just realize, you know, to go to that dark place is... Maybe it's normal, but maybe it has been superimposed upon us by a culture that says if you're not thinking of terrible things happening to your kids, you obviously don't love them enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, as a parent of my 19-year-old boy, mm-hmm. I was very guilty of living with a lot of fear where, where I came to him. My only child couldn't have more children, and mm. so he was he is everything to me in terms of, of a child. But at mm-hmm. 16... I recognized I had a six foot four inch <laughs> tall man boy, right? How that wonderful. I needed to give him space. And, and height. <laughs> and, and height, right? Above his head. <laughs> but emotional space and space to be a man, to grow into his manhood. And so my husband and I took steps to empower him and give him more space. Because otherwise oh, cool. I recognized, like oh my gosh, it was, it was the most challenging thing <laughs> Lenora, I can tell you I've ever done, but on the flip side, the maturity level and the confidence he has, I think, from Mm -hmm. that is tremendous. And so Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from that experience. Um, That's so cool. I didn't do it at I, I, nine years old. I, I was, I think, know, emotionally incapable thing, of that. But yeah, you know what? People also think that like I'm like telling them they must let their child ride the subway by nine, or all bets are off, or they better be on their bike at eleven. You know, it's not a question of exactly what year you do or exactly what you do. All I'm saying is that society has convinced us that our kids are in constant danger. You know, they've done it with these TV shows. They've done it with products that tell you, don't you want to Z- GPS your child? Don't you want to feel mm-hmm. secure? And and we never had to do that before to feel secure. So what they're really doing is sowing insecurity. Mm-hmm. And so so free-range kids is not a – it's not like I'm not a parenting expert. People always think I'm a parenting expert. I'm sort of a fear expert. And free-range kids is not a way to do things. It's, it's a philosophy that says our kids are not in constant danger. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. If mm-hmm. you can just – reject that idea that society is trying to, to, to foist upon us, then it, it allows you to breathe a little, and then you can do whatever you want. You can keep them at home or not keep them at home. You can drive them to school or not drive them to school. It doesn't really matter, but I just don't want parents to feel like they must believe terrible, scary thoughts all the time or they're not doing it right. 
Oh, it's crazy making. It's absolutely it crazy is. making. It's crazy making for the parent and the child. Right. You know, I stopped telling my son, drive safe or be careful because I recognized what I was saying to him is that the world is a scary place and danger was everywhere. That's mm-hmm. a really bad way to go out into the world every day, right? It is too bad. I mean, but but I don't think it's you. You know, I, like I say, I don't think it's, you know, why would we be having this conversation if it was just you and just me? It's a whole society that's, right. that's predicated on this. There was, speaking of like every day to go out that way, there was one of the advice columnists, I don't remember which, said, before you take your kid anywhere, take his picture. Always remember to take his picture or her picture. Because of the clothes that, that they're wearing way, and... So that, right, when you're trying to identify them for, to the police, you have this recent picture. So, so when you're being told that, like, hi, honey, just smile for the guy, or actually don't smile, we want to see you in profile. You know, uh, you know if you have to do that every time you're going to McDonald's, you know, it's, it gets to be wearing on you. That's why I feel like I, I was an American studies major at college, and I'm, I'm constantly studying America. I mean, there's one of my like favorite whipping boys is there's a radio commercial that says I, I don't have it in front of me but I can paraphrase it it says you and you your wife and your kids and you go to the mall and it's time for lunch your wife and uh, daughter go off for Chinese you and Danny go for Mexican you look up at the menu and you look down but you don't see Danny imagine if he were kidnapped oh. but now with blah 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 GPSing device so there's a commercial on that is literally telling you that in the time it takes you to choose between the nachos and the soda, your child can be taken from you in public at the mall with the entire Mexican restaurant staff looking at you, waiting for you to order, and he will be gone outside somewhere in somebody's trunk, and if only you had had this GPS device on him, then he would be safe, because otherwise nothing is safe enough. If your child isn't safe enough standing next to you in public at a restaurant when you're about to order, then nothing is safe enough, and that's what that's what this society is busy telling us with the monitors for is your child getting enough oxygen when she's asleep is your child being kidnapped from when he's next to you boy scouts teach kids to whittle with with potato peelers like they can't handle a knife girl scouts are allowed to toast marshmallows so long as they have one knee on the ground so they don't go flipping into the fire everything is seen as an incredible horrible death that your child is about to suffer unless you buy something or do something that no generation until ours has ever been required to do. And that's why you were so nervous. I mean, we're all nervous, but no generation has had every parent feeling this nervous as now. So what's the future of these kids? Will they become completely neurotic or are they completely neurotic today? You know, um, Here's where I sort of fail to stay on message, because if I was selling myself, I would say, oh, yeah, they're going to be ruined, and you're ruining them, and buy my 20-day Skenazy free-range parenting class, and you will be better. But in fact, uh, there's a couple things going on. One is I think that most kids turn out fine. You know, two is I don't think it's up to us as parents. Now, you know, maybe part of it is up to us, but they, they, they come out genetically programmed, some of them to be wild kids, some of them to not be wild kids. They come out with interests that you can, you know, influence to a certain extent by introducing them to this or that. But, God, we took my nine-year-old, the subway rider, he, we spent his 
ninth or tenth birthday at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Weren't we the yuppies? Oh, my God. And uh, I don't think he's been there since. You know, he, he won't put a pen to paper. He doesn't like to read. He doesn't like to draw. He's never made a thing in his life except under duress and, like, art class, which he practically flunked. And he loves football, something that I still don't get. I know there's all these downs, and they have to get the ball through someplace. But, you know, they come out as who they are. And there are so many influences on them that to think that we make them neurotic or geniuses or dullards or fat or uh, brilliant, that's giving us a lot more credit than uh, and blame than I think we can. And so it's the reason I you know, believe in free-ranging your kids if, if you want to and if you're game is not that they're going to become perfect and otherwise they're ruined, but that they have one childhood. They won't be nine forever. Pretty soon they will be 19. And when they're 19, they're not going to be doing wheelies and they're not going to be building forts in the woods and they're not going to be playing hopscotch. And, you know, if you want your kids to have that, now's the time. So tell us about your show on Discovery Life, World's Worst Mom. (laughs) World's first mom. I'll tell you about it, but the but the caveat that it's not on right now. They showed all the episodes, and now they have to wait before they run the reruns. Uh-huh. So don't go looking now, but hopefully very soon. The cool thing about the show is that it involved me going around to 13 very, very nervous families, or at least one of the parents was, like a mom who still spoon-fed her 10-year-old in his mouth. She was worried that he couldn't do it, and she wouldn't let him use a knife, wouldn't let him go on an overnight, wouldn't let him ride a bike. And, and what I do with all these families is I I, I talk to the parents about their, their fears, and then I talk to the kids separately, and I, I ask them, what aren't you allowed to do? And in 13 families, they tell me pretty much the same things. Not allowed to ride a bike, not allowed to walk to school, not allowed to use the stove, not allowed to go on you know, a play date, whatever it was. And then I have them do those things. It's as simple as that. And when they come home and they just had a lemonade stand or they ran an errand for the parent and they're coming home with the grocery bag or they had a little carnival nearby, you know, with little games for kids to play, when they come through the door and the parent sees them, this is what, this is, this is just what I realized that there's a lot of hope, is the parent changes immediately. They're grinning. They're proud. There's... There's an expression in Yiddish, they're kvelling, kvelling with pride. They're so (laughs) proud of their kid, they can't, they're practically bursting. And in that moment, who they see in front of them changes. And instead of seeing just a vulnerable baby that they must take care of every single second, they realize, wow, my kid is growing up. Look what he can do, or look what she can do. And that new image, I, I was just with a family, I do house calls. I guess that's my one you know, way of capitalizing this. If you want me to come to your house and and sit with you while your kid runs an errand, that's a house call. It will cost you a lot of money to hire me, and your kid will come back with the cranberry juice. So the family where I, I sat with them while the kids went and got the cranberry juice said afterwards, they said, it was like my kid was suddenly older. And, and in a way they were, because they were allowed to do something, but of course, in a way they weren't. They were one hour older. But it's really great when you see your kid as older. You think you can only love the kid because they're, you're taking care of them and you're protecting them and they're your little bundle of, of preciousness. But actually, give yourself credit. It feels great when you say, that's my young man. That's, that's the young lady that I raised. That feeling of pride is really heady. And um, it's liberating for the kids because they finally feel like their parents recognize you know, who they really are. But it's even more liberating for the parents because 
now they get to have somebody run and get the cranberry juice. <laughs> they, they can stay at home. But it's, it is, it's liberating emotionally, too. It is. I know when, you know, my son was 16 and he started working and he was working at a restaurant. So Friday and Saturday nights, the good news was I knew exactly where my son was. He was working. The bad news is I stayed awake every single night until he got home. Right. Until health wise, it just wasn't it just didn't make sense. It gave him so much confidence. I know how much it empowered him that I had confidence in him to do the right thing. It, It was amazing. My shift in in how I. Uh, saw him mature and take responsibility and Mm -hmm. it was huge absolutely Mm -hmm. huge and I was the absolute typical helicopter parent for many years right Mm -hmm. you've got some great helicopter parent stories right Um, you've got a in your book a section titled the AZ review of everything you might be worried about what are some of the really crazy things that parents worry about you mentioned one uh, a mother 10 year old son who she was spoon feeding Right. Well, on the TV show, they they actually screened 2,000 families for me to find me wow. uh, the most interesting, let's say. I had a mom who let her 8-year-old get the skateboard he desperately wanted, but he had to only, he could only stand on it on the grass. So it was sort of a Pyrrhic victory. He did get the skateboard, but he just wasn't allowed to skate. Uh, I had another mom who, uh, when they were out at a mall and she was with her 13-year-old son, took him into the ladies' room with her still. Um, At what age? 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. He was, he was embarrassed. I mean, a lot of the kids are just, they've given up, you know. They, they understand that there's something going on with their parents, and they can't, they just can't wait till they're old enough to finally leave because they understand that basically they're under house arrest until then. And they were very grateful. But as grateful as they were at the end, like, thank you, Lenore, you freed me, et cetera, et cetera, it was the moms who, who wrote to me afterwards. At the very end of the show, when I was filming The 13th Family, I, I printed out for the crew the emails that the moms had sent me long after the crew had gone home because I said, you know, people are going to think this show is fake. I mean, how can you take somebody who's afraid to let her kids play on the front lawn, um, and they're in their, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and now she's letting them, you know, walk to school or ride the bus or ride a bike. A mom who was afraid to let her kid ride a bike, now he's going to BMX bike camp. I mean, these things are so amazing that I printed out the emails to show that this is really happening. I mean, they wrote me letters afterwards saying, thank you, now my kid can do X or Y. And I gave them to the crew because I felt compelled to. I don't know why. But what was I about to tell you? So these are the things that the parents wouldn't do before, and they ended up giving me not just these emails, but they, they sent me gifts. And I think it was because I gave them a gift. I think it was tit for tat because I gave them this this 16-year-old, when they had seen a baby, the mother of one of the 16-year-olds, he was uh, he was a senior in high school, so he would be going to college the next year. And so for one of his challenges, I said, okay, 16 now, I'd like you to take the subway downtown, and we'll meet you at the college, and you'll talk to the admissions counselor there. And the mother was so upset when I said that this was what he was going to do today. But, you know, they signed on to have me, so she sort of had to agree. She could have said no, but she finally said yes. But she was crying. She ran upstairs, and she was burbling on the phone to her sister. She was really, she was hysterical. And finally, when a moment came for him to leave, he was, he too, by the way, was six-something. He was like 6'3 or 6'4, very lanky guy. 
and he left the house, and his mother came running after him with an Elmo juice box. <laughs> Here, take this, you need it. And I thought, wow, wow, it's fascinating. That's really interesting. And he took it. What could he do? This is his mom. But then we got to the school, and we got to the college, and we actually got there before we were supposed to meet him. And he was wandering around, not expecting to see us yet. So he was just there on campus, and he's towering over the other kids because he was 6'3 or 6'4. And his mom spied him among all these other young men and women. He's taller. He looks great. He looks like he belongs on campus. And she was hysterical with joy. And she lifted me up. She picked me up and twirled me around like my feet were off the ground, you know. And she's like, look at him, look at him. And she was so happy and so proud. And, like, I can I can go into my closet now and show you this is the purse she gave me. This is the coat she gave me. This is the scarf she gave me. Because instead of thinking, here's my little boy who needs an Elmo juice box, she had a college kid. And she was thrilled. In the last couple minutes, what, what are some practical steps you can share with our listeners to liberate liberate our yeah. kids without going crazy with worry. Okay, a couple things, and then they're, they're really simple. One is think about, go, go to my site and look up the Free Range Kids Project. It's on a tab at the top, FRK Project. My site is freerangekids.com. And it just, it says, why not have your school propose the Free Range Kids Project, whereby the teachers tell the kids, go home and ask your parents if you can do one thing you feel you're ready for that you haven't done yet like these things we've been talking about with the, with the TV people, like run an errand, walk the dog, ride your bike to the library. And since the school proposes it, a lot of parents say, yes, it's just a one-shot deal. And then the kids come home from doing that thing, and it's just like the TV show. The parents are so proud and so happy that it changes things. So, but you're changing it on a sort of wholesale level because my kid has walked to school and your kid has walked to school, and suddenly it becomes normal for kids to be running errands and walking to school because everybody is doing it. And I, I propose that to, to schools that go K through 8, anywhere along that continuum. I'll just give you two more tips, and then I do have to run. One is to, if you're waiting with your kid for soccer to start, for the bus to come, for the school to open, whatever, and... I'm waiting with my kid. You're waiting with your kid. There's three other parents waiting with three other kids. Offer to watch them all. Tell the parents, hey, you know, I'll wait here. I've got five kids. I'm not expecting, uh, you know, banshees to come with spears. I think I can handle whatever, whatever happens in the next five minutes. You can go to Starbucks. You can get to work early. You can go have an affair. Just leave. I'll be okay <laughs> watching your kids. So that's a way to start creating a little bit of community. And the last thing I'll suggest for now is one day leave your cell phone at home. Your kids will never leave their cell phones at home, so leave yours at home so that even if a quote-unquote emergency arises, which is usually not an emergency, um, you're not there to fix it, right? The kids have to figure out if they are going to stop and have a a candy bar before they get home. Are they going to do, you know, are they going to watch TV first or do their homework first? Just let them make some of the decisions that we made routinely as children, because we're taking away those opportunities for them to start making sensible choices because we're not letting them make any choices because they call us and ask us what they should do. So be unavailable. Just uh, try it once and see what happens. Lenore, those are great tips. I know today is a really busy media day for you. I appreciate you coming on Living Wealthy Radio. We will be posting this uh, recording of this podcast on livingwealthyradio.com along with a link to your website. And uh, thank you for letting us see through the hysteria and myths around parenting. Very much appreciated. 
Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and you let me yammer on. And I just wanted to say one other thing, if I could, which I forgot, which is my self-promotional thing, which is I give speeches. That's how I make a living. I give talks. Awesome. So if your group, your school, your company, or your community needs a speech, LenoreSpeaks.com. LenoreSpeaks.com. We got it. All right, Lenore, thank you so so much. much. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com.